Well, that pretty much wraps up my time here on air. Before I sign off, while many of you listeners out there are just starting your day, we've had many people that have called in today about their work and how it's monotonous, grueling, frustrating, unappreciated, and sometimes just even depressing. We've all been there. Perhaps if we share this load together, we can find our jobs not only redemptive, but also purposeful and maybe, just maybe, even joyful. Tune in to efree.103 and listen for me, Scotty O, as together we find fulfillment in the daily grind. This is Scotty O with efree103 saying, until next time. morning. Good morning everyone in the venue today as well. I'm Adrian. Good to be with you today. This is our final message in our Daily Grind series and uh, grateful for Scotty O doing those little videos along the way. I've been reminded that I, f- I forgot to clock out over these past few weeks so uh, I'm going to have a big paycheck coming to me I guess. I might have some trouble at the hands of the elders here as well but it's been fun. Hey, real quick, Bob, before we jump into the Daily Grind, I want to give you uh, one more quick uh, reminder uh, about something that's coming next week. Uh, Frank Turek, who is a very, very powerful defender of the Christian faith, will be with us. Would you raise your hand if you know the name Frank Turek? Anyone in this room? Okay, a number of people saw raise their hand, and uh, even more in the venue, I'm positive. Uh, Frank Turek is a very powerful defender of the faith. If you think of the names Lee Strobel or Ravi Zacharias, he's in that line of defenders of the Christian faith, and he'll be here with us next Sunday. And uh, you'll see some uh, information about that up on the screen here. We'll be speaking about these topics. Does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? Is the Bible reliable? He'll be with us uh, Sunday morning. And then on Monday evening, he'll be at uh, University of Nebraska at Kearney as well. And so I really want to encourage you, particularly Sunday morning, to invite friends or family members. encourage you to be here, but if you've been trying to love the one, as we've been seeking to do over these past several months, you have someone in your life, someone in your workplace, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your daily rhythms that you've been praying for, that you've been reaching out to, that you've been seeking to invite into a relationship and grow with spiritually, now's the opportunity. Like, don't miss this. This is a great opportunity to invite them to church next Sunday as we'll be talking about a lot of the kinds of questions that many uh, non-Christians ask, people outside of the church, people who struggle with the church ask, and then he'll do even more of that on Monday night at UNK as well. He's got a great book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, as well as a number of other books. And uh, that book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, will be on sale here next Sunday as well. But I really encourage you to kind of take advantage of this as part of our Love the One from Sunday to Everyday initiative next Sunday with Frank Turek, both at 9.15 and 11 o'clock. Well, there were three bricklayers laying bricks. And a passerby came next to each of them and he asked them what they were doing. And the first one replied, isn't it obvious? I'm laying bricks. And to the second one, the second one replied, I'm building a wall. 
But then he came to the third man and he said, what are you doing as you're working? And he says, I'm building a cathedral to my God. And friends, that difference in mindset is what we can bring into the daily grind, whatever yours is, each and every day. Some of us see ourselves just doing tasks, just to kind of make it through the week, biding our time, living out our five days, trying to grind through our five days so that we can get to the weekend. Living for the weekend is a popular phrase today. Others feel like, you know, I want to redeem the time that God has given me. I want to maximize each of the seven days of each week that God has given me. And if God has given me 80,000 hours on average to work in my career, over the course of my career, I do not want to waste them. At the end of my life, I want to be able to say before God, at the end of my career, I want to be able to say to my kids and my grandkids that while I may not have maximized each and every one of those 80,000 hours, I did my best to use what God gave me to build a cathedral to God. To honor the Lord with the work of my hands and my mind, my organizational abilities, to serve with excellence and faithfulness, to honor God and to help people each day across the 40 or 50 hours that I worked. Isn't that what you want? That's what we want. That's why we've endeavored upon this series and we'll give one more here this morning on how we can begin to cultivate satisfaction in our daily grind. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. You open up your Bible, you'll find Deuteronomy about 200 pages in. It goes from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers and Deuteronomy. About 200 pages in, you get to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and this is uh, Moses preparing the people of Israel for their entrance into their promised land. And God is whispering through his prophet Moses, as he's whispered through other prophets, including Miriam and others, in these early uh, books of the Bible, and now he's preparing Israel, preparing the Hebrews for, for entering into Canaan, which would later be named Israel, entering into their promised land, and he's seeking to remind them of some things as they get there. And he's going to remind them and remind us of a number of really important key ideas related to satisfaction in whatever you're doing across your work week. Pay attention here as he's speaking to these wanderers that are in the midst of a very deep recession. We're not living in recession today, but recession will come for us again. Perhaps some of us in this room are in a recession of your own today. And these can be good words for you if you're in years of abundance today. These are good words for you as well. Deuteronomy 8, listen to the word of the Lord. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The clothes 
did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. The commands he's referring to is the Ten Commandments that he just gave a few chapters ago. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Sounds like a good land, doesn't it? A blessed land for these people, a blessed land for us we enjoy as well, I might add. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied. I'm telling you, this could have been written in 2020. When all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my own hands has produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God. For it is he who has given you the ability to produce wealth. And so he confirms the covenant that he made with you until this very day. Mm. Do you know that our God is a provider? Do you know that our God is a provider? This is central to who God is. His very character is that he is willing to provide and he is able to provide. Our God is willing and he is able. And what you see across these years of wilderness wanderings that Israel went through was not a God who provided for their wants, but a God who consistently provided for their needs. Across many difficult days, God who consistently provided for them with his presence and with the word of God and with basic food, basic sustenance, Monday through Friday, the beginning of every day, we are wise to remind ourselves that God provides such that we would give thanks daily. Give thanks to God daily and you will begin to cultivate satisfaction in your daily grind. This is the critical starting point. Give thanks daily. Our God is a provider. And I pray that you would have faith to believe this, that still today, He doesn't necessarily promise to provide for our wants. We need to let that sink in. He doesn't. But he does promise to provide for our needs. And you see, that's exactly what he did for the people of Israel. You look at verse 3. If you're marking up your Bible as you go, he says, Remember how the Lord your God provided. He humbled you 
verse 3, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. And manna was this bread that they knew nothing about that came down from heaven. And how often did God provide manna to the people? If you remember this story in your Old Testament, how often? Daily. And were they allowed to store that manna for the next day? No, they weren't. In fact, if they tried to store it for the next day, for their wants in the next day, it would rot. God intentionally allowed them to only have enough for that day. To foster this sense of dependence on a God who provides. And not just manna, but also quail. He gave to them some meat as well. Thank you, Lord. And he gave to them the bread of the word of God every day. Jesus quoted this verse. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus quoted this in his own desert experience. But before he began his ministry, God gives to us his word every day. We give thanks and we're nourished by this very real sense of spiritual bread to us every day. And he gave to his people clothes that miraculously didn't wear out. For 40 years. How's that going for you parents with your kids? Okay, he gave to them feet that didn't swell. They didn't need a podiatrist for 40 years as they walked every day. Now, they didn't get to enjoy the peak of human actualization and fulfillment in their jobs during those years. Craftsmen were not able to do crafts. They weren't able to create Moms and dads weren't able to build homes. Builders weren't able to build houses. They weren't able to do a lot of the things that they wanted. Farmers weren't able to till the ground. They just were dependent on God. And so, as an aside, they probably had some of these feelings of valuelessness. That I have all these gifts, all these abilities, and all I can do for, for this time is just kind of hold on and receive. Be dependent on the provision of my God. Now, we should just say that not being able to use your talents in a job of some kind leaves people with a feeling of valuelessness. If you ever wonder whether work is a gift, if you ever wonder whether work is a gift, just talk to someone who is unemployed. And you will realize that work is a gift. There was a study done by MIT a number of years ago that indicated that for many men, nothing not even divorce is as devastating to one's sense of self as chronic unemployment. Can I tell you, ladies, that if your husband is unemployed today, that's a vulnerable spot for him. Build him up. Hold him near. Strengthen him and help him to stand taller. Do the same thing for your wives. If they are wanting to work out of the home and are not able to do so right now or in the future, hold each other in those times encourage and support each other now God is a provider and in this case he provides miraculously from from heaven with quail and manna and all of this but typically the way God provides is the way we've been talking about over these past weeks normally he provides through the work of our own hands doesn't he and sometimes he provides through the storehouse here at our church we heard a great story about that last Sunday didn't we Sometimes God provides through our life groups. Sometimes through our neighbors. Sometimes through the generosity of other people at this church. Sometimes our God provides for us through a short-term reliance on a government program. And there's no shame in any of that. 
But the typical way that God provides is through the work of our hands. And there is an interdependence to that in our world. I love the way Martin Luther put it. He was fond of saying, the people who grow the grain and harvest the grain, we understand this here in Nebraska, the people who grow the grain and harvest the grain and make the bread, who sell the bread or who give away the bread to those in need, these people are God's answer to our prayers. Give us this day our daily bread. And so whatever the means, we give thanks for the various people that are involved in the long chain and ultimately to the giver of all gifts as he's the one who has enabled this chain to develop. We give thanks that he's given us this strength in our own hands though, that we can produce our own bread, that we can work hard to provide for ourselves. And we even give thanks that God has made us not only to be dependent on him, but to be interdependent with one another when we are going through times of need as well. We need to remind ourselves as Christians that we are both givers and receivers. And there's beauty in both. To give well is a means of provision that God would use you, and to receive well, we also receive God's provision from Him through other instruments at times, and there's nothing wrong with that. Look, look again here at verse 7 and 8. Uh, God is saying that he's going to provide them this awesome land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs and gushing out into the valley and hills, a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and all of that, a land where they'll have meaningful work. Um, they'll lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. They'll have meaningful work to do. But he goes on to say thereafter in this passage that as they have meaningful work and as their goods multiply and as they're able to build nice homes, they'll be tempted to forget the Lord and they'll be tempted, they will indeed say to themselves, verse 17, this is the temptation for all of us still today, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my own hands and my brilliant mind and my social networking has produced this wealth for me. And it's right there in the middle of that temptation that we are wise to pause and give thanks to God. Because he has given us any ability we have to produce wealth. Is there anybody here with me this morning? Any ability you have. You cultivate it. You develop the gifts that God has given you, but God has given those gifts. And so we have these opportunities each and every day to give thanks for the Lord's provision of whatever gifts that we have. I might add that joyful people are almost always thankful people. You find someone who gives thanks every day for the work of their hands, give thanks every day for God's provision in their home, I can almost guarantee you, you also find a joyful, happy person. Thankfulness is intimately connected to joy. So you give thanks daily, and then if you want to cultivate satisfaction in the daily grind, you Sabbath weekly. Learn to Sabbath weekly. A medical doctor friend of mine told me a number of years ago that she loves being pregnant. And I thought to myself, what a bizarre statement that is, Lisa. You love being pregnant? Not sure if I've ever heard that before. That was not my wife's experience. And I said, why do you love being pregnant, Lisa? And she said, it's the only time that I feel totally productive all the time, even in my sleep. 
we value that attitude in America, don't we? Totally productive, all the time, if I could, even in my sleep, so I love to be pregnant. Bizarre statement. Now, I mean, what is expected if you ask someone today, hey, what's going on? What's going on these days? How's life? What's the expected answer? Busy. Oh, we're busy. Like, that is the expected modus operandi answer. If somebody asks you, how are things going these days? Like, if you say, I'm busy, then they say, okay, good for you. I mean, God forbid anyone would ever answer that question with, you know, our family feels really refreshed these days. We feel at ease together as a family. We're eating together five or six nights of the week. We have nice devotional times. We rest every Sunday together. We're just kind of enjoying each other. We work hard, and then we enjoy good family times. Social media and video games and Netflix, they never get in the way. We're at ease within ourselves. You don't hear that too often, do you? But that's part of the way we are made to live, and we've lost that in the 21st century. That's the way we're made to live. We don't really value that anymore, but that's what we're made for. Turn back with me just a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and you'll see here which one, tell me, which one of the Ten Commandments is made for us relative to work and rest. Anybody? They all said very quietly, whispering perhaps the fourth commandment, okay, <laughs> about the Sabbath. Uh-oh. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, a day set apart. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Friends, if you want to develop satisfaction in your daily grind, learn to stop from all labor, paid and unpaid, one day each week. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, and Shabbat is both a noun and a verb. It's a noun that's a specific day in the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish culture still to this day, it's sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night, that 24-hour window. And it means on this day, you have a special day to rest and remember. But also it's a verb. It's this active stopping. And we all know that is an activity, isn't it? It's something that you must do. It's not a passive exercise. It's an active discipline, an active decision to stop to step off the hamster wheel and stop spinning for 24 hours each week. Because it's there that we learn to be still and know that God is God. It's when we stop 
that we actually learn that as we stop, God is still at work. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that God is God. It's as we actively stop, we learn. You'll see up on the screen, Isaiah 30.15, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and in trust, in quietness and in strength is your peace. We repent and then we rest. That's our salvation and quietness and the strength of the Lord. There's our peace only as we stop. Or in the words of Jesus, the Sabbath was made for men and women. Not for men and women to serve the Sabbath, but made as a gift for men and women that we would not become units of production, slaves once again, but that we actually could stop from our labor and receive this gift from our good God. Friends, we are made in the image of God who worked and then rested. And we are made in his image and his likeness to obey, to follow those same rhythms ourselves, to work and then rest, to create and then be recreated, to strive and then to be refreshed, to create and then have leisure. Unfortunately, what we have today is a whole lot of work and a whole lot of passive entertainment, but almost no rest. I won't quote the statistics, but they're scary. It's not that we don't have time. We all know this. We have plenty of time. What we have is a ton of work and then a ton of passive leisure with entertainment that doesn't actually end up refreshing us we don't actually stop to enjoy the Lord. Like, have you ever just sat down in front of your computer and you log on to Instagram or whatever your social media of choice and 75 minutes later, your head comes up from the stupor? Do you feel refreshed after that? Or Tuesday night, you get the kids to bed at 9.30 you say, I'm just going to sit down for a single episode of Jack Ryan. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it's 2 a.m., and I've watched five. Do you feel refreshed for a Wednesday morning to go out and be a great minister of the King Jesus, to be a servant of others after getting five hours of sleep that night? No, but people are living this way. It's not that we don't have time, it's that we're not obeying this basic commandment to be intentionally refreshed by God. Sabbath is an explicit weekly statement that some things are more important than money and productivity. Sabbath is a time that we agree work is not my master, that productivity is not my God, that wealth is not my God, that no man or woman will be my God. So I work hard and then I am refreshed by him. I like to think of Sabbath as kind of like an oasis. If you've ever hiked through a desert area and you've been able to come up to an oasis or even you went on a hike and you were looking forward to this brook, this beautiful stream that you know is coming, this great waterfall that you know is coming in the distance and you strive for it. It's strenuous. And then you get there and you just sit back and you're refreshed as you take in this oasis. Oasis is like the best analogy of it because you're going through a desert and then out of nowhere is this spring that is surrounded by these tropical trees and you want to stay there and be refreshed as long as you possibly can. 
I, I did this one year while with my younger brother down in South America. We hiked for two days into this deep, deep canyon, and then we stopped. We knew this oasis was coming. We got to it after two days of hiking, and I'm telling you, after two days of hiking, we did not want to leave. We just hung out there as long as we possibly could, and we rested, and we were refreshed. But after spending several hours there, not only did we get rested, but also we had newfound power that we didn't have before. And this is what Sabbath does. It gives us rest, and then it gives us power that propels us into the week to come. It refreshes us so that we're more loving to our coworkers. We do our work better. We're more faithful as parents and family members in the week to come. This is why God would have us intentionally rest from our labor and other things that don't actually refresh us. I was talking to our tech director, Eric O'Brien, here at Carney E. Free last week, and this is what you got to know about Eric. He's like really, really hardworking. Eric's the kind of guy that goes above and beyond all the time. He does not mind in any way putting in extra hours, and he does so on a regular basis. But I also know that he keeps Sabbath. And so I asked him, how do you keep Sabbath? What helps you to keep doing it, even as I see that you're such a hardworking person? And he said, I do have this tendency. I have this tendency to feel guilty taking a day off, but when the Bible says do it, then I guess I should. He then said, that's kind of reassuring. God just tells me it's for my good, and then my family thanks me for it too. Mm. That is so good. I mean, that is hitting the nail on the head. My family thanks me for it too, that I am revitalized with them. This was so critical, of course, for the Israelites because they spent all those years where they never got rest. They were units of production. That's all they were to Egypt. For all those years, day after day, all they were good for was how many bricks that they would make for Egypt's pyramids. And so, God tells them, remember that I have provided for you. And give thanks to stop and not allow yourself ever to become a slave to anyone or anything again. And friends, we can become units of production too. Where we just give ourselves to wealth. We just give ourselves to our jobs. We just give ourselves to busyness and productivity. And so God says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, don't take on any yoke of slavery ever again. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Sabbath is this means to prevent misplaced work identity or misplaced work idolatry. I know that today there are many Christians, there are probably some people here in this room who are saying, I don't believe in Sabbath, Adrian. And that's fine. You are free to be wrong. I do believe in it, strongly. And there's no good biblical reason to believe that it's only an Old Testament principle. I mean, Jesus affirmed it. Jesus said there's never a bad day to do good, so he did good on the Sabbath. So for me, personally, I have Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. Sunday is not a Sabbath for me. I don't answer any work emails on Saturday. I don't answer any work text messages on Saturday. But I know if there's genuinely an emergency, I will get a phone call. And there's never a bad day to do good. I can go tend to that emergency if it comes up. Otherwise, I'm with family. Otherwise, I'm being refreshed by lack of emails, lack of digital, digital detox, all of that. 
we need this on a regular basis. We got to get a break. And it ends up being so incredibly revitalizing if we get it on a regular basis. The truth is, if we don't follow the owner's manual, we will not operate to our maximum capacity. Would you agree that the Ten Commandments are part of the owner's manual? Yeah, I think so. Like, they're a big part of the owner's manual, and so we're wise to follow these. You don't have to be legalistic about it. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. It doesn't have to be on Saturday, as it is for me. It could be any different day of the week. And it doesn't have to be encumbered by a hundred different rules, but, but you want to identify how am I going to be refreshed by this day as I remember the work of the Lord. Here's two, two words that really help me and help our family in our practice of Sabbath each and every Friday night through Saturday night. It's pray and play. This is how we do it. We think of praying for extended periods of time and playing together as a family, even individually. And so our Sabbath typically begins with a wonderful meal on Friday night. Oftentimes it's the four of us. Sometimes we'll have guests over as well. And usually on a Friday night, I'll take out a few candles and I'll bless each of my family members. As I light those candles, I say a blessing over each of them because they are my pride and my joy. And I want them to know how proud I am of them and how much I'm looking forward to, to the next day with them. And we enjoy a nice meal together, and perhaps we watch a movie, or we go to a game, we do something fun, we laugh together. Then the next morning, we sleep in. Thank you, Jesus. And the kids stay in the room till at least 7 o'clock. And then after 7 o'clock or so, after we get up, we have a nice breakfast together, and then Susie has her quiet time, which is an extended period of time to rest with her Lord to be reinvigorated by her Lord. And I get some quiet time, which is an extended period of time to rest and be reinvigorated with my Lord. And the kids do the same. And theirs is probably not as long as ours, but that's okay. They get some of that quiet time as well. And then we might build something together, build a model or do an art project or go on a hike together. We might go to a game. We might watch a game. We don't turn on the TV but before noon because we're not a TV-type family. We try to stay away from all that, but maybe in the afternoon we will watch a basketball or football game or whatever it might be. We might even go to a movie. But we have fun. We get refreshed together. Maybe we'll do something with a friend. Maybe we won't, but we'll do things that we consider play. Now, I like working in the garden. That's not work to me. It's refreshing to me, so I might do that. You might like mowing the lawn. Great, go mow the lawn. It's not legalism. But don't do things that are considered chores. That's just unpaid labor, okay? And the Bible tells us to rest from all that paid or unpaid labor. Rest from all that unpaid labor till this other day that you get off. If you get another day off or else you do it during the week, you figure out a way so you can have this oasis on a weekly basis which becomes rejuvenating for us. And then what it inevitably ends up doing is it sends us forth with power into our work week. So when you hear lousy Sunday morning messages, it's probably because I had a lousy Sabbath where I worked, where I disobeyed. But if you hear good Sunday morning messages, because I was with God, and God is the one who refreshes us. God is the one who rejuvenates us. We must spend time with him. Love the way Abraham Heschel, a great Jewish theologian, put it. He says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, 
bringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our souls belong to someone else. Six days a week, we seed to dominate the world. On the seventh day, we try to dominate the self. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. Sabbath weekly, we remember the Lord and give thanks daily. And I want to challenge you one more time. I want to encourage you in order to cultivate satisfaction in your daily grind, learn to begin to worship God each hour. Learn to worship God hourly. I know this sounds crazy, bub, but what you can do is this. It's really, really simple. You can put a timer on your phone every hour, an hourly timer, and then every time that timer goes off, it's a reminder for you to pause and give thanks that God gives you the ability to provide to pause and give worship to God for his holiness, to pause and give worship to God for his love, pause and give worship to God for his power. Just a little 30-second breath prayer unto God, giving thanks and praise to him for all that he has provided. I used to do this while when I was a speech therapist. For a long, long time as a speech therapist, I'd do back-to-back-to-back sessions, counseling sessions one after another, and I wondered at the end of the day why I was so exhausted. And so I started to factor in a few minutes in between each session that I would fall to my knees and I would pray to God. And I would give thanks to God for the opportunity to serve the, this next person that was coming in, give praise to God for the gifts that he had given, and ask for his help. Over the course of this series, I've started to get back into that habit, but before each meeting that I have in my office, I'll get on my knees and ask God for help but before that next meeting, because I don't have what it takes on my own. And left to myself, left to my own devices, I will fall into the same pattern, the same temptation that Israel fell into here in verse 14. We get really, really busy, and then we forget the Lord, and it says this, Deuteronomy 8, 14, your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God. And did that happen to Israel? Yes. And can that happen to us? Yes. So we actually need to be the people that set the bar higher. I'm talking to a great church here. And I want to challenge you to set the bar higher. The church in America is so anemic today. It's so incredibly weak today. Because we set the bar so low. Part of the reason it's so weak is we come to church just thinking about what can be done for me. And we think of Jesus as what can he do for me? Instead of how do I serve him and his purposes in the world? Another topic for another day. The other reason it's so weak is we don't spend time with God. It's in the presence of God's holiness that you're changed nothing else you become more like whatever it is that you behold if it's video games you'll become more like video games if it's politics you'll become more like politicians and their pontificators if it's social media you'll become more like that superficial stuff but if it's Jesus You'll become more like him in the workplace, in your home, in your neighborhoods. 
and you'll be the beneficiaries of it too. You'll become more loving. You'll become more joyful. You'll become more hardworking. You'll become more self-controlled. You'll become more peaceful. Because we become more like whatever it is we behold. As I wrap up here this morning, I wonder if you would do me this favor of standing with me, both here and in the venue. We're going to read two verses together as we finish up this series. I'll ask the band to come up on stage. And we wrap up this series with a very intentional note of how we continue to build satisfaction in our workplaces every day. And it's good that we would come back to this verse from Colossians 3, which has been an anchor point for us in this series, because it's just a powerful reminder of the one that we serve every day, and the fact that we're living for and we're working for one that is greater than us. So up on the screen, both here in the venue right now, you'll see Colossians 3, 21, or 23 and 24. I'm going to ask that we would read this together, and you'll notice if you know this passage that I changed the second person pronoun you to the first person pronoun I across the board in these two verses because these are made for us. And so I would like to ask humbly that perhaps as you read these verses, these would be a self-declaration of sorts as it relates to your workplace, that this is what we're doing. Maybe you're a student right now, it relates to you there. Maybe you're retired right now, it relates to your volunteer service as well. Let's sing this, let's sing this. I won't ask you to do that. Let's read this. <laughs> we'll ask Jim to do it in a minute. Let's, let, let's read this together, and then we have one other from uh, Psalm 90, and we're going to read that together. Join me, both here and in the venue. Whatever I do, work at it with all my heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since I know that I will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ I am serving. Amen. Amen. And now, Psalm 9017, may this be, let's read it together. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Thank you, Jesus. May it be.